When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Welcome into the Titan-Sized Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan-Sized Podcast, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. Our home is now Blog Talk Radio, in addition to iTunes, and we still have a couple weeks left in the contest to win a poster signed by Taylor Lewan and Austin Johnson. Just leave us a, a review on iTunes with a five-star rating, and you will automatically be entered to win that prize Gentlemen, the Titans played the New York Jets last week. Now we move on to preparing for the Carolina Panthers. But there are a few bits of news we need to go over before we start talking about the Panthers. The first of which is something I'm really excited about. Tony Romo's first assignment as a broadcaster with CBS will be the Titans-Raiders game week one with Jim Nance. So that's going to be the nationally televised CBS game that week. It's pretty exciting for the Titans. I, I think the last time that they had Jim Nance week one was when they played the Patriots in 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hype is really starting to materialize for the Titans. Uh, and that week one matchup against the Raiders has been uh, talked about pretty often, even on NFL.com. There's like articles, best games of the of the year, or at least of week one to look out for. In, and that's one that they're talking about. It's two teams that are on the rise. Uh, Two teams with young quarterbacks coming off uh, major leg injuries. So a lot of uh, parallels uh, in that game. And just to get it on on CBS nationally, uh, to have Tony Romo debuting on there, that's pretty pretty, uh, big talk for the the Titans. Yeah, I mean, these are teams that could be the three and the four seed when playoff comes around if you believe that they're going to win their division. I mean, you've got to go ahead and kind of pencil in the Steelers and the Patriots. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this could be a future playoff matchup. Definitely, for sure. Uh, even though the Raiders lost their playoff matchup uh, last year to the Texans, of all people, of all teams, yeah. uh, in the first round. But, I mean, they were without Derek Carr. And uh, seeing Brock Osweiler win a playoff game was absolutely the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But, yeah, no, I definitely think the— Titans and Raiders have a pretty good, uh, pretty good chance to meet in the playoffs this season. DeMarco Murray now seems to be fully healthy. He practiced last night, and I believe he is a full go to participate in the joint practices with the Panthers over the next couple of days. But one guy comes off the injury report, another guy goes on, and though it may not seem like a very important guy, 
Uh, it's something to certainly keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks anyway, and that's long snapper Bo Brinkley. The Titans signed another long snapper. I, I can't even remember what his name is. But, uh, Me neither. Is it? I don't know. I don't know how much. An, it was a weird name. It was a weird name. I don't know how much. Oh, DeSalvo. DeSalvo. Okay. I don't know how much a new long snapper is going to affect the kicking unit, especially in the preseason. Uh, let's just hope that that Brinkley is back for the regular season, and let's take this opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about just how good the Titans' offensive special teams are, punting and kicking. Ryan Suckup and Brett Kern are two of the most underappreciated players on this team. Yeah, underappreciated and two of the most reliable players at their position in the entire NFL. Uh, Ryan Suckup is really um, just just reliable. He nails kicks every time he gets on the field. Um, he hasn't really kicked as much as, uh, as, uh, as other kickers around the league because the Titans uh, were actually really good on offense, especially in the red zone last season. But when Suckup gets a kick and he has to he has to nail it, he does. And Brett Kern has been one of the best punters in the league for the past five or so years. And um, we have to mention that uh, the Titans released kicker punter Jordan Gay uh, to make room for the long snapper. So rest in peace, Jordan Gay. Yeah, what what a career it was. Um, <laughs> you, you can't you can't <laughs> you can't really talk about Ryan Suckup without bringing up maybe the best moment in Titans history over the last mm-hmm. three years, which is the mm-hmm. game winning kick against Kansas city last year. Uh, I mean, that was that call, you know, lives in infamy now with Mike Keith. Um, but yeah, I mean, not only are the punter and kicker good, but we should have a much improved punt coverage team this year. You know, we've talked about Trey McBride and Eric Weems a lot this year, guys like Brendan Trawick also, mm-hmm. you know, should be thrown in that mix too. I mean, you know, th- this side of special teams should be much better, and Adoree Jackson shouldn't even touch him. So Im- imagine how much better this whole special teams unit's going to be. Yeah, that's that's a testament to Kern that he's been uh, at the top of the league in terms of in terms of uh, punt average and uh, net average. And when uh, someone returns a long kick or for a touchdown or whatever, uh, that goes against the punter, even though it's not usually his fault. So uh, an improved special teams coverage unit should. He- help Kern even get more recognition. We talked a little bit before we started the show about what Jalston Fowler's role on this team could become and the fact that he's a legitimate candidate to not make the team because the Titans, when they run the ball, it's usually out of a one-back, three tight end set instead of an eye form or a an offset eye from the weak or the strong side. What do you guys think about Jalston Fowler as a player and would the Titans really lose all that much if they cut him? Because I honestly don't think they would. No, I don't. I don't think they would at all. I don't mind him as a player. I think he he's a pretty talented guy considering uh, his height, weight, uh, speed, uh, uh, metrics, and and whatnot. He's a fine fullback. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield if you want. But we really haven't used him in that capacity to this point in his career, except for uh, on that two point conversion. I don't know if you guys remember where he looked like he tore his ACL. And we lost the game because of it, but God. we'll uh, Are you talking we'll about the one against Indianapolis one? when he lost like 25 yards? Yes. yes uh, yeah, that one, that was a nightmare. It's like his most, most memorable moment as a tight end, which think, isn't isn't I, good. I think that's the only time I've ever kicked a seat at Nissan Stadium was after that play. <laughs> that I, and I hate three. I hate it because Fowler in the preseason, it seems like year after year, they use him on inside zone runs and really basic, you know, 
go up to the linebacker and hit him, and he does great. You know, you could put a highlight film of him in the preseason against starting linebackers in the NFL, but then the season rolls around and they just, you know, get too involved with moving tight ends around and those big jumbo packages and all that stuff, and he just never seems to see the field. He's a pretty good special teams, you know, kick coverage Mm -hmm. guy himself, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's tight ends on the street that can do that. You know, if you're going to find somebody to fill that job, you don't need to keep, keep a fullback on the roster to do that. Yeah, and our tight ends could kind of play his position uh, in certain sets also. So I don't think it'd be a huge loss for if he doesn't make the team. Someone that everyone last year kind of thought of as a lock to eventually make the Pro Football Hall of Fame was wide receiver <laughs> Tajay Sharp. After his uh, impressive preseason and training camp performances, it didn't exactly translate to success on the field once the regular season rolled around. But uh, now the guy who was at one point bound for Canton could potentially be bound for the waiver wire because he is, I believe, the fifth most talented wide receiver on this team ahead of McBride and Douglas and Weems. But he hasn't been on the field. He's been on the physically unable to perform list. He had the bizarre legal troubles over the offseason. Mm-hmm. What if he is healthy? Let's say he is healthy and he makes the team. What's his role on the team? Is it as the fifth wide receiver or 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 is he at risk to not make the team? Yeah, uh, I think it's fifth wide receiver if he's fully healthy. Um, I think he would get that nod above. Actually, him and Harry Douglas would be kind of kind of on the same level of playing terms i think but i think he would make the team if he was fully healthy uh the problem is that he isn't and i think he's a real candidate uh for the pup list uh through the first to be out Mm -hmm. for the first six six weeks of the season uh and in his place i could see someone like eric weems or or trey mcbride making the team and uh being being important for uh, the special teams unit while sharp uh, uh gets back in playing shape and gets his foot healthy yeah, I've talked about it before, but I, I could really see Tajay Sharp going on that pup list like we were talking about, and Harry Douglas getting that fifth wide receiver spot just because Malarkey and Rubisky like him so much, and he seems to be a great guy. Everybody likes him. He's always excited to practice, bringing energy. You know, you could say I'm going to keep him as kind of a rental wide receiver for the first six weeks and really play him a lot, and then if you like him, put Tajay Sharp on IR. If not, bring Tajay Sharp up and cut mm-hmm. Harry Douglas. I mean, there's no real harm in that. Harry Douglas gets a fair shake at the roster. Tajay Sharp gets to heal up. We kind of know about what he is in this offense right now, which is a receiver who should see about 10% of the snaps. He's not going to be a star gun or anything like that, so he's got to kind of make his hay when Corey Davis or Rashard Matthews need to come out on the outside. Yeah, uh, I'm just not sure what type of impact Sharp is even going to make if he's fully healthy because the top four are pretty much set at this point. And, uh, I mean, I would only see him coming in if there's if there's an injury uh, through, during a game or throughout the season uh, and he could contribute lightly in that area. But, I mean, he's not going to be on the field even close as much as he was last year, uh, which he did fine last year. He was kind of pigeonholed into being a number one, two receiver, which isn't really what he's going to be at the next level. One last thing on uh, Sharp before we move on. Uh, Jim White posted the story the other day where he's one of only four Titans rookies to ever have 500 yards in their rookie season. It's weird to think mm-hmm. that somebody was so that who was so se- successful historically with the Titans is now an afterthought, and that's kind of a, you know, 
appraisal of how well John Robinson has brought in Eric Decker and mm-hmm. Taewon Taylor and Corey Davis all in one year without really seeming to give up a ton to get them. You know, you look at the Patriots and they traded a first to get Brandon Cooks. Well, the Titans got Corey Davis with a first and then also backed up behind it. And now I think they're deeper than the Patriots are at wide receiver and they didn't have to give up that big chip. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let's not act like the Titans gave up nothing to get Corey Davis. I mean, they did trade down and end up having to to stick with Jack Conklin at the eighth spot. I mean, not exactly <laughs> an ideal situation there. Yeah, you always hate to get an all-pro and also a top-five pick in one draft. It's, it's always tough on a roster when that happens. I hate that. Some, someone that missed the Titans' first preseason game against the New York Jets and it was very obvious that he missed because we were stuck with three and a half quarters of Alex Tanney, and that is oh, quarterback Matt Castle. Coach Mike Malarkey said the other day that Castle will play this weekend against Carolina. You said it the other day, Will. I don't know if we were on air or not, but for the first time ever, we're actually kind of excited to watch Matt Castle be under center. And however many snaps Mariota plays, whenever he's done, it's going to be interesting to see if Castle is going to be any improvement over the disaster that we saw from Alex Tanney last weekend. He's got to be right. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine a worse scenario. If he's worse than Alex Tanney, cut them both and sign somebody else. I mean, that, I mean, you can't have two of those situations in, in your quarterback room. Uh, the drop-off can't be that significant when Mariota, as much as I love him, has been injured every season he's played, you know, whether it's fluke injury or whatever you want to call it. But I don't, I don't think he'll be that bad. I think Matt Castle is a very conservative quarterback who knows where his throws are. He's not Fitzpatrick like we've seen in the past who's going to just wing it down the field, although he will throw it up to receivers like he did to Rashard Matthews if he trusts them and knows they'll go up and get the ball. Uh, somebody put out a stat the other day that he's won a game in the NFL in each of the last eight seasons, wow. which hmm. is incredible to me. I mean, I'm not sure how many other quarterbacks, whether they're starters or not, have done that, just given how much teams move on and, you know, how quarterbacks miss seasons. You know, Tannehill can't say that, and that's nothing against Tannehill, but quarterbacks get injured in the preseason sometimes. It, it's weird that he's made – you know, one, brought one team to a win. You know, he's been on some bad rosters. And now that I think, that, that's, now that I think about it, would there be anybody else other than Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, and Tom Brady that would have also done that, win games each of the last eight years? Well, Brady, uh, Brady tore this year, so that that's right. Yeah, Eli Manning probably has, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but because he's kind of the Iron Man in the NFL right now. But I, I don't yeah. know any other quarterbacks that have done that. I mean, that's back to 2009 – or the, no, sorry, the 2008 season. So, I mean, eight consecutive seasons. Yeah, we're in 2015. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really weird thing, you know, because it would have to be the uh, Tom Brady season where he was out, the castle stepped in. So, you know, mm-hmm. Tom Brady can't say that. You know, you know for a fact that he can't. So oh, no, that was that 08. Is, yeah, so he's he's played the last eight seasons. Yeah, because that was mm-hmm. week one, right? Yeah, yeah. So so he can say that, and Tom Brady can't. So you know, there you go. Right, he's good. Castle's carved out a really nice role in the NFL. Um, piggybacking off that off that season where he took over for uh, for Tom Brady, and then uh, going to the Chiefs, and uh, I'm pretty sure he made the playoffs with them at least one yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. He did. I and, remember they played the Ravens one year. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah, ever since then, he's been a capable backup, and he's he's earned that. Like, he's a fine a fine backup quarterback in this league. And uh, when he played last season, uh, last week of the season, I know it didn't matter, but I saw enough from him uh, executing the offense to to a pretty good degree, just to to be okay with him going forward as our backup quarterback. I've seen quarterbacks that the Titans have given up a lot more for lose mm-hmm. to a lot worse teams than the Texans at home. Yeah. For sure. And you have your guys as backups, like um, Zach Mettenberger was a backup a couple of years ago. You mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick. Those guys have bigger arms, and they're going to be able to create more explosive plays, but they're not necessarily as trustworthy as someone as Castle. And I think the biggest thing about Matt Castle, more than any other stat, as a Titan starter, he is 1-0. and oh. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? Yep. QB wins. <laughs> So, so let's move in and start talking about the Titans, a preseason opponent for Week 2, the Carolina Panthers, who were surprisingly kind of awful last year after making it to the Super Bowl and not really losing anyone other than Josh Norman. But with some of the additions that they've made in the draft, Curtis Samuel, um, Christian McCaffrey, they're a team that I think is primed to not just you know maybe make the playoffs again, but get back to the level where they were two years ago and be a contender again. Yeah, I think they definitely have that type of talent on both sides of the ball. Um, as long as Cam Newton is healthy for all sixteen games, I don't see any reason why they why they won't win the division or at least or at least win uh, a playoff spot. They have a lot of talent um, on the defensive side. Their cornerbacks are kind of underrated, even though Josh Norman left their quarter cornerbacks were pretty good last season uh they have a couple good pass rushers uh one of them is mario addison i think he had nine and a half sacks last season and the the additions of christian mccaffrey and and curtis samuel they're not underrated because mccaffrey was the eighth overall pick but they're going to be huge for an offense that's kind of going to change their identity uh in terms of the type of way they're going to play uh, a lot more short passes instead of the, the long passing game that they had when Ted Ginn was there, which for some reason he just got so much playing time. Uh, they just love throwing deep to him and him dropping balls. I don't know why, but whatever. Um, but yeah, with Samuel McCaffrey and they still Greg Olson still, still a baller at the tight end position. Uh, and Calvin looks pretty good. I don't want to judge based off one preseason game, but he looked really good um, after concerns about his weight earlier in the offseason. So, uh, yeah, they're a really talented team. Uh, I, I kind of like them as, a, as a, a secondary NFC team, if you will. You mentioned that they're going to kind of change their identity on offense this year. They remind me of mm-hmm. the Titans in that last year, and really when they went to the Super Bowl, They were a power run team. They would give the ball to Jonathan Stewart 20 times a game, had a mobile Mm -hmm. quarterback, but they lacked any sort of explosion other than every now and then when Ted Ginn would make it past the secondary. And I think that's why they went in the direction of McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel, even though they're not really guys that we would say fit that classic pro-style power run offense. They're guys who can maybe make it like the Titans did with this exotic smash mouth. Maybe make it a little more exotic. Yeah, they're two guys that could catch the ball, and they could take it. They could take it all the way if you really if if they get the sliver of space. Um, Kelvin Benjamin's still going to be, I guess, the deep threat, even though he's not fast. 
All you have to do is really throw it up to him, and he'll probably catch it. But they're going to destroy teams in the short to intermediate range with McCaffrey out of the backfield, Samuel either out of the backfield or in the slot, and then with Greg Olson in the middle of the field. So they're going to be opponent offense as long as Cam Newton is is healthy. There's only two things that really kind of concern me about the Panthers' offense, and that's I, I'm one. I'm pretty sure that Cam Newton is one of the least accurate quarterbacks in that zero to five yard area. I think people have mm-hmm. done those heat maps and stuff. And I worry that that'll affect how Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel are used in that backfield and kind of as slot wide receivers or however they move them around. Um, I, I, and I'm one of the few people that thinks McCaffrey can be an inside runner. I think he oh, showed yeah. playing with a Stanford offense that plays jumbo packages, eight offensive linemen, all that kind of stuff. You know, he'll run in the a gap and then bump out if there's space, but you know, people get him confused as just a pure kick returner and punt returner and don't see that he's, you know, 5'11", 200 and something pounds and can take a beating. He can carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. Um, that's one concern. Another is Cam Newton's another year older. And last year, injuries were a concern. I know we've talked about his health, but the book's kind of out on him. NFL refs are not going to call it if he gets hit hard because he's so big. You know, he yeah. got to terrorize the NFL not last year, but the year before, because he was so big and teams just didn't want to rough him up because they were afraid they were going to get penalties. And the Denver Broncos showed, you know, in that opening, well, and I guess in the Super Bowl too, you can rough up Cam Newton and the refs aren't going to call it because he's built like a defensive end, which was a great attribute for a long time. But now refs are saying, okay, if you're as big as them, you can play with them. We're not going to coddle you anymore. And for better or worse, you know, if your quarterback's built like that, I can see the argument you saying he's still a quarterback. You can't hit quarterbacks any kind of way. It's just not the way the rules are. And we saw quarterbacks being protected in the Jets preseason game where Casey grabbed one by the ankles and barely toppled him over. And, you know, there's no malicious intent there and he got a flag. But if that happens to Cam Newton, he's first off, he's not going down. And second of all, he wouldn't get a flag even if he did. So, you know, you worry that the refs are going to let him play a little bit too much and then he's going to get hit in the head like he did a couple of times before. And it's going to affect how he plays. You know, he went from I believe the MVP two years ago to a substandard quarterback last year. So I, I don't know. It, those concern me with how they want to run this new offense because the Trump card was always, yeah, but we can always quarterback boot and run for six yards with our fullback style quarterback. Now I'm not sure he's willing to do that, and I'm not sure that that'll be the play call. Yeah, he really is officiated differently, uh, even in the pocket, not even when he when he rolls out or he scrambles, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, there are definite concerns. I mean, about his health, always. There always will be, especially for a running quarterback. Uh, I just want to touch on your McCaffrey point from before. Stanford in college, they're a power run team. They, they have been for the past decade or whatever. And Christian McCaffrey was their, their main running back. They didn't use a, a Jonathan Stewart type of player. So McCaffrey can absolutely be that guy uh, at the next level. And I, honestly, I think they're wasting time using Jonathan Stewart um, as their main running back. McCaffrey should be getting the bulk of the carries. Yep. I was listening to Frank Wycheck talk about this matchup on the radio today, and he made a point that I think is incredibly interesting and I think is going to be the number one thing to watch for this week. We've talked all offseason about how bad the Titans were at covering tight ends and running backs last Mm -hmm. year. Well, supposedly Avery Williamson has done something to get better. I don't know. Uh, you still have Haven't Wesley Woodyard. 
And then you have Jayon Brown, who that's kind of his niche is he's undersized. He's not going to, you know, hit the A gap and try to stop the running game, but he can cover tight ends and, and running backs because of his size and his athleticism. This week, the Panthers are going to send Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey at you full force. Perhaps the best, or one of the best anyway, receiving tight ends and receiving running backs in this league. Christian McCaffrey is already. This is going to be probably the best test. They're going to get maybe mm-hmm. even all season to show that they've improved in that area. Totally agree. This was one of my matchups to watch. McCaffrey versus the Titans linebackers and also Greg Olson against the Titans linebackers. Um, there probably won't be uh, two players at their positions that are as dynamic at their positions that the Titans linebackers are going to see this year. So if they're really going to be better than last season at covering running backs out of the backfield when they're running angle routes, swing routes, whatever, and against tight ends when they're running their whatever tight ends run, they run everything. Um, this is this is going to be the best test for them, like you said. And if they get lit up again, then we have some serious, some serious alarms that are going to be raised because they need to be better in that aspect if this defense is going to be improved over last year. It's a little bit unfair to me because if this matchup had happened or would happen four weeks in the future instead of right now, I think there's a real chance you would see Jayon Brown or Aaron Wallace out there mm-hmm. against Greg Olson, and you could see Kevin Byard taking away uh, Christian McCaffrey, or they could change that role and figure out who is best to cover who. And I would love to see a defense with Brown and Byard, you know, dealing with tight ends and running backs however Dick LeBeau wants. I don't, I don't think we'll get to see that this week unless in practice they show up and they say, you know, we threw Jay onto the Wolves and he handled himself well and Bayard can cover anything that moves anyway. It, it, so I would love to see that. I don't think we'll get to. But this may be the matchup that really gets Mike Malarkey and Dick LeBeau to say, you know, maybe we're not as good as we thought in pass coverage against tight ends with our first-team linebackers. We need to really look at some of these younger guys and see if they can do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jalen Brown is going to see action against Greg Olson because Greg Olson's probably only going to play maybe a series or maybe two. Uh, but McCaffrey's going to stay there a little bit longer. So I think we might see Jalen Brown covering McCaffrey at some point in the in the first quarter. I really hope so. If Jalen Brown covers Christian McCaffrey and does it well, I'm in. Y- y'all can't oh my God. stop the yeah. hype train here. I- I'm I'm all in. Last kind of thing about this matchup before we move on to our Final points. How much do you want to see Marcus Mariota in this game? I want to see two series out of him um, because the his two series against the Jets they weren't really they didn't take up a lot of clock and we really didn't run that many plays. I want to see Mariota and the first team offense somewhat in sync. I just want to see them put points on the board. I just want to see them get to the thirty yard line, get a Ryan suck up uh, field goal, and then I'll be good for for at least until next week when because in the third preseason preseason game the starters usually play around a half um so yeah i just i just want to put some points on the board and in two series 
Yeah, I'm I'm probably leaning towards three, but if Mariota goes on a really long drive on either one of the first two, I'd take him out. I want to see somewhere between six to eight passes. I'd like to see him target Eric Decker, Rashard Matthews, Delaney Walker, Taewon Taylor, and DeMarco Murray just to see that they're all kind of meshing together well. And even though they haven't been on the field that we've seen together, they've been on the field in practice, but, you know, that they're all still meshed together and that Decker can work against other you know, other teams and not just Logan Ryan, and it's not just a Logan Ryan issue at practice. Uh, I, I would like to see those six to eight passes and him really get into a rhythm. If he puts up, you know, let's say he goes six for seven for 75 yards and a touchdown or a field goal, if that's one drive, I'm fine with that. Take him out. But something around that sort of workload would be what I'm looking at. I figured out what I want to see, ideally. I want to see Eric Decker in the red zone score a touchdown over Luke Keekley. That's it. That's what I want. <laughs> not, not that much to ask. No, not at all. <laughs> so yesterday, after the Titans practiced inside the bubble for the first time, Malarkey made a very interesting statement to members of the media saying that nose tackle was a, quote, very competitive position between mm-hmm. Sylvester Williams and Antoine Woods. That's really interesting to me because of how much money they gave to Sylvester Williams, and it was kind of a surprise. Williams was a disappointment after being a first-round draft pick. Antoine Woods went undrafted and has made his way into now competing for a starting spot. Let's say Antoine Woods wins it. Does Sylvester Williams even make the team with his salary? Uh, I'm not sure. I really don't know because... Sylvester Williams would even have competition behind him because D'Angelo Brown is a undrafted rookie and he's been he's been doing well in camp and he flashed a couple times in uh, in the first preseason game and even Austin Johnson could play nose tackle too. If you have uh, some of those guys that are on really cheap contracts and Sylvester Williams isn't going to be the starter, there's really no point in even keeping him around. I know we have a lot of cap space and it doesn't hurt us to keep him around. But it really, it just, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I kind of look at him as the same way I look at Bryce McCain. Is they're both guys that LeBeau had a clear hand in bringing in, and we heard that when they were signed, is LeBeau thinks he can work with Sylvester Williams, and he thinks he can make a plan Mm -hmm. for him. I, I think there's kind of an issue with that line of thinking anyway, is thinking that, coaches thinking that they're better than the coach behind them. But when you're Dick LeBeau, you're probably right. Um, the only problem is Wade Phillips was a coach before and Wade Phillips can do the same thing. So, um, you know, I don't think he gets cut cause I'm sure he has a certain amount of guaranteed roster. I think they would work on moving him towards, you know, a, a sub package rusher, a guy you bring in when you're going to your four down lineman set, whether you want him at one or three or, you know, however you want, or you want him to spell Casey or whatever you want. And they might work him some at five technique, at just kind of a one defensive lineman that can back up all three of those positions. Uh, other than that, I don't know how much value he really has. So maybe he sticks this year just because LeBeau told Malarkey and Robinson sign him. You know, that's that's my guy this year. That's the one I want you to bring in. And they brought him in, and he works with them all year. And maybe it doesn't work, and maybe they cut bait then. But I, I think he's he's pretty much a lock for the roster. 
I I like the idea of uh, him as a sub package player because the uh, Antoine Woods technically started the first preseason game uh, and it, it was on first down, so they might see Woods as more of like a a, a gap plugger uh, on early downs and maybe use Williams on uh, on passing downs. Yeah. Will I want to ask you this question because I know you read into a lot of analytics and kind of how the draft works. <laughs> And I'm going to ask Jim Coburn this when he joins us next week on the podcast. Why is nose tackle such a hard position to find a quality starter at? And I'm not talking about your stud nose tackles like Damon Harrison, Vince Wilfork in his prime. It's a position that's kind of a crapshoot, and it's hard to find a a good quality long-term starter. Yeah, uh, Jim Coburn has – I'm sure he has the exact number to look for in these guys, no matter what the scheme is, and he can tell you that. To me, it's all responsibility. You know, if Sylvester Williams is going to be our nose tackle, that's not the same thing he was asked to do in Denver. And it's not going to be the same thing he was asked to do at North Carolina either. It's all different schemes. Some guys want you to attack half a body and split a guy and try to penetrate. Some want you to go head up with the center and hold that gap. Some want you to play more of a two and hold that guard and make sure he doesn't pull. And if he pulls, get into his hip pocket. Defensive line is one of the least understood but most criticized positions because if there's a long run and a guy looks like he's out of place – people assume it's the defensive lineman when really sometimes the linebacker doesn't feel the way he's supposed to the strength was identified wrong the slant's just a bad slant you know the defensive coordinator's at fault Mm -hmm. it's a really hard thing to pin down you know we talked about the greats halotinata uh damon harrison even uh uh, even hampton when he played for lebeau you know they were all so hard to move because they were so strong in their lower body that if they were wrong they could reset and find you know, find something to do, find work. But, you know, not not everybody's built like that, no matter if you're 350 pounds or if you're quick and 280 pounds playing nose tackle. So, you know, in this scheme, I trust Dick LeBeau knows what he wants, but it's also changing. I mean, like I said, Casey Hampton was 350 pounds and looked like he was six foot the way he was built. He was just a bowling ball. But at the same time, that's not the way any of the guys on the Titans roster are built. So that's a changing position. So while he may see more of a penetrator in Sylvester Williams, that may not be what he ends up being best at. And then now you're dealing with trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and it just messes you up. So it's a harder position than people think, but at the end of the day, it just comes how close is the scheme he thrived in, in college or in his last stop? uh, How close is that compared to what you're doing now? As we start to close out one last question I'm going to pose, and that is, we're each going to pick a player who needs to improve from last week's performance against the New York Jets. My guy is going to be Logan Ryan. Everybody gets deep beat on deep balls from fast receivers, but Logan Ryan looked terrible on everything he covered. There's that comeback where he got into a hand fight with the receiver. The little, I mean, he gave up a lot, a lot more than just that deep ball. I want him to make a statement this week and say. You know, the people last week who were getting on Twitter talking about how I wasn't worth this money. Yeah, I was worth this money. I want him to make a statement this week. 
He actually kind of took my player. I was going to pick him also, <laughs> but that's a good pick. He really does have to play better, and this is a really good test for him because he, I'm assuming he's going to be either lined up against Calvin Benjamin and Devin Fun- or Devin Funches, who are both really big receivers, and Logan Ryan's uh, a little bit on the shorter side. He's not that tall, so this is a really good, really good test for him. Someone I want to see improve, uh, I think I would pick maybe Austin Johnson. I've been pounding the table for him for <laughs> forever. Uh, and he didn't really show much last week. He, I'm not, I'm not going to say he played bad uh, because I didn't really dissect it, but he didn't flash uh, like I want him to uh, because I really want him to to earn consistent playing time this season, maybe a starting spot. So I want to see him make some plays both in the run game and in the, and in the passing game. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mention, too, uh, Kevin Dodd has to be better. Absolutely. I mean, he was in yeah. for what what felt like three quarters. I mean, may, maybe I like 25 snaps. Yeah, had no impact on the game. He was he looked better dropping back into coverage than he did going forward. And a lot of that is because <laughs> the Jets want to get the ball out quick. And you know, Hackenberg was only throwing for like four yards an attempt. You know, so I, I get I get all that. But you have to be able to bully those bad offensive tackles and third string offensive tackles and show you're worth second team snaps. I mean, right now you can't convince me that we're not better with Eric Walden and Aaron Wallace on the outside than with Kevin Dodd. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the other guy I'd mention is Derrick Henry. I mean, I know he didn't have a lot of holes to run through, but you expect a guy like that when he's been – and I know he's probably not pushing for it like everybody thinks he is and the fans are, but this is a guy who's in his second year, and he should really be a running back one for some team. And this was his chance to come out and make an argument against a team with subpar linebackers and a good defensive line, but he played when that defensive line came out. You know, he, he should have been – you know, four yards a pop, five yards a pop, some somewhere in there when the night was over, and he was kind of in that mid-low three range, and he really should have broken a long one against the backups. And I, I was disappointed to see him play, but I, you know, I've seen him have great preseason games before, so I'm not, I'm not condemning him or anything. But I want to see what I saw last year for somebody who is praised as taking the next step and being faster this mm-hmm. year in camp, and somebody who everybody said if you can get the ball into his hands in space, he can do crazy things. And then we saw him catch a screen pass and kind of, you know, not really take a full advantage and start galloping and building up speed downhill, and really kind of left me underwhelmed and. Against this linebacker core and defensive line, you know, first and second, first and second team, I could really see him having a big game and showing that he could be a running back one. I know I said that was the last question, but one last really quick point. We know that Corey Davis is in all likelihood not playing this weekend. Malarkey still calls him week to week. It's pretty much not doubted that he's going to be ready for week one against Oakland. Is there any importance for him to? play at least one preseason game yeah i think i think he needs to play at least a couple plays just to get ready for the season i mean it's not going to be a huge deal but just for him to get get into a rhythm obviously the most important thing is just for his hamstring to be healthy and for him to be um in good conditioning uh shape but yeah i mean ideally we would like to see him like to see him play for at least a series or two in in that third preseason game but because i don't think he's going to play in that fourth one I think quarterback, cornerback, and wide receivers are the most um, confidence-dependent positions on a football field. I think you really thrive when you're confident in what you're doing and that you can beat the man in front of you. 
he's gone against Adoree Jackson and Logan Ryan and in what look like good corners that the Titans have in practice, you'd really like for him to go against another team and really go all out and catch some passes in preseason games. So I, I think it's really important that he comes out, whether that's the fourth preseason game, if he gets 12 to 15 snaps there and they target him eight times, just saying, I know mm-hmm. you've got your backups in and I've got my backups in except for this guy and then we're going to funnel the ball to him unless y'all double cover him. And, you know, do that for – you know, 10, 15 plays, and then take them out just to see, you know, this is the speed of the game, this is what it's like, knock the rust off, and let's go. You know, I I, I want that for him because I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon, the Carolina Panthers will be at Nissan Stadium at 2 p.m. You can watch the game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.